What's up, gamers, and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer, and you have just stepped into my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming-related decree. This week, it's all about three new titles that are going to shape the coming fall months, so let's talk about it and dive right into the episode with my news catch of the week. Gamers, it's crazy to say, but it has been three weeks now since I was able to have a Captain's Quarters episode to share my thoughts on the gaming industry for the current time frame or my progress in my own personal gaming. And man, it's felt like a very, very long time since we last were able to do this. So here we go. This week, I know these are some games that were talked about and these trailers that I'm going to be discussing were from the Summer of Gaming event on IGN three weeks ago. But for me, it's still something fresh that I have not discussed with you listeners yet. And I really wanted to touch on these three titles that at the time that they were first released was what I had planned to do that week anyways. So here we go. The first title I want to talk about that had a new trailer, some new information that came out for it that week. It was none other than Marvel's Midnight Suns. Now, this game is developed by Fire Axis Games and published by 2K. And what we got, it was a cinematic trailer. So, of course, we as gamers, we always hate it when we get a cinematic trailer as opposed to a, a real gameplay trailer, actually seeing what the game's going to look like when we're controlling it. But I will say, for what it was, I thought it was actually a pretty cool trailer. I mean, the music was really cool, and it was also a big deal because it gave us a reveal of three different characters that I had not had previous knowledge of being in this game, within this context at least. And those characters were Spider-Man, Venom, and the Hulk. And guys, the way that they introduced the Hulk, oh man, he looks like he's going to be a pretty intimidating potential foe in this game. Because the main antagonist of the game looks like she's going to have control of him as well as Venom. And uh, definitely that's going to make some things rough for our Midnight Suns heroes. But I got to tell you, we got a release date for it, October 7th. It was very exciting to kind of get that, but at the same time disheartening. And why would that be disheartening? You might ask, well, guys, if you don't know, if you haven't seen, October of this year is absolutely jam-packed with games that are releasing as of right now, as of this recording. Release dates galore throughout the course of the month of October across all platforms, all types of games and genres. <sighs> you know, two of the three games that are on this list that I wanted to discuss with you are both coming out in October. And Midnight Suns, it looks really great. I can't wait to see more on it. I would love to see more gameplay and see more details about what we can expect to actually do within the game world. I know it's been very kind of a let's drip feed the information to players between now and the release of the game. But I would love to see at least some extended hands-on time with the game and, and see what more we can expect from the details of what really looks to be a unique experience. Now, the second game that I wanted to discuss is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. And the same week, the summer of gaming that we got, the Midnight Suns trailer, we also got this trailer for the campaign mission, Dark Water. And I got to tell you, the Call of Duty campaigns, and I'm, I'm, I know I'm the exception here, the Call of Duty campaigns, for me, have been just absolutely awesome, fun Intriguing stories to play through for pretty much the entire run of the series. I've been playing Call of Duty since the second one released way back in 2005 on the 360 and PC. And I have thoroughly enjoyed pretty much every single campaign except for, I would say, three of these campaigns are the only ones out of all of them that have released that I was kind of like, eh, it didn't really gel with me. 
But these last few years, gamers, if you haven't played them, even if you don't like Call of Duty or think you don't like Call of Duty, but you like single-player first-person shooters, I'm telling you, give these games a shot, rent them, get them on a cheap sale, something, because they are a lot of fun and have a lot of great production values put behind them, and just some good, fun, short experiences, less than 10 hours, and you're done. Now... Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 is the sequel to the most recent remake or re-envisioning of Modern Warfare, and it's continuing in that game's universe and storyline that we see this mission taking place. Obviously, Infinity Ward is the developer on this game, and what the purpose of this mission is, this is what we're talking about. This is what we want, right? A gameplay trailer, the actual mission that we are going to eventually be controlling our characters throughout. We get to see that and see what we can expect. And man, it was an awesome mission to showcase. At first, you're infiltrating these characters are a rig that's way out in the middle of the ocean. And there's this storm going on and... Ultimately, there's just a lot of really cool stuff that happens. Obviously, as is the case in most missions, I would say, in a Call of Duty game, things start off very stealth-centric and all about sneaking and taking out enemies quietly. And that very rapidly deteriorates in this quest, in this mission, and all hell breaks loose, as it tends to do. And then there's massive firefights happening. And, of course... The whole purpose of why you were on this rig starts to escape on a speedboat, and so you got to go out after it in your own speedboat and chase it down. And man, it was just, it looked awesome in the middle of this storm. And I say speedboat, it was actually this massive ship that you have to go after that you realize is pulling away from the rig. And once you get onto this freighter ship, it gets even better because the physics and the graphics and just Oh, it was amazing to watch this mission play out, and I can't wait to experience it firsthand. I mean, the waves are tossing the ship around, and as you're trying to have this firefight on the top of this ship, once you catch up to it, the massive train cars that are being transported on the ship, they're sliding all around, and you just got water being tossed up on the side of the ship, and it just looked awesome, and I absolutely cannot wait to play this game. I loved the rebooted Modern Warfare and I, again, have loved the last few campaigns, and I cannot wait to check this out. We got a release date of October 28th for this game. If it sticks, I assume that it probably will because it looks pretty far along in development. Now, me, typically, Call of Duties, I get those. It's like a tradition in my family now at this point. My wife gets that for me every year for Christmas, whatever the new annual Call of Duty game is. So that's probably when I'll be talking to you listeners about my experience with it sometime after Christmas. But I can't wait nonetheless. Now the third game I wanted to discuss here is a game and a series that I thoroughly, thoroughly love. And this game is Layers of Fears. And that's plural, fears with an S. And I say that because obviously there were previously two Layers of Fear games... Playing old Layers of Fear and Layers of Fear 2. Now, Layers of Fear and its DLC, I absolutely loved. Love the crap out of that experience, I'll call it. And played through both. Layers of Fear 2, never finished it, but I absolutely enjoyed what I have played of that game. And these games are developed by Bloober Team, and I love this developer. Their specialty is horror and I have pretty much loved and thoroughly enjoyed every game I've ever played by them, whether it was the Layers of Fear series, they also did the Blair Witch Project game a few years ago, and the Medium for more recent memory. And I love the Medium. If you haven't tried that out, definitely check it out. Lots of Silent Hill vibes. A lot of the reason why the rumor is that Bloober Team is working on a Silent Hill game, reboot, remake, or otherwise. But Layers of Fears. Now, this game is actually made on Unreal 5, which is the newest Unreal tech, if you were unaware. And it looks amazing from this trailer that we were shown at the Summer of Gaming. And man, uh, just thinking and imagining the physics and the lighting and how that can play into a horror experience and how it looks like it's going to in Layers of Fears. I can't wait to experience it. And the reason why it has the plural Layers of Fears title, so this game is somewhere between a remaster and a sequel to Layers 1, its DLC, and Layers of Fear 2. 
And what Bluebird Team says is they're basically taking scenes from all of those experiences and kind of meshing them into one full ultimate experience, if you will, a beginning to end experience. There's no separation. There's kind of like a back and forth. You may be going through the perspective of the painter from the first game and its DLC, and then you're kind of transitioning to the actor from the second game, and they're all interconnected in some unique way. And I can't wait to see how that works because Bluebird Team is amazing at story. So I fully trust them in being able to pull this off because to be honest with you, Layers of Fear 2 couldn't have been more different tonally as well as character-wise than Layers of Fear 1, as well as the setting. The years and decades that separate the two, there's just a lot of difference there. So I'm very interested and intrigued to see what they do with this, but I can't wait to check it out. It actually does not come out as of right now until sometime early in 2023. So we have a ways to wait to see until if they actually can pull this off. Now, it could also get pushed back until later next year. I'll be honest with you, it wouldn't surprise me if it is delayed even until October of next year to try to capitalize on the season of Halloween. But we will see. But guys, these were three games that just stood out the most to me those few weeks ago during the summer of gaming, and I still really wanted to share my thoughts with them with you. So that'll do it for this week's Catch of the Week. Now let's go open up my captain's log and see what games I've been playing. Gamers, a lot has happened over the past three weeks since my last episode of Captain's Quarters. One of those things being the launch of the all-new PlayStation Plus program. It's different tiers, premium and elite and extra and all this. Well, guys, I am very happy and excited to share with you what my experience has been so far with the all-new PlayStation Plus. Now, I did upgrade my PlayStation Plus membership to that of the premium tier, and I am thankful to say that unlike a lot of people who had already banked a ton of months with PlayStation store cards or whatever the case may be with their memberships, I just paid, you know, year to year. So for me, it was only a difference of $32 to upgrade to premium for the duration of my already paid for period of PlayStation Plus. And I just absolutely had to try out and take a test run of all the different new features that PlayStation Plus Premium was offering. So the first thing I got to start with is the PS1 games. So a big thing about PS Plus is now that you can play these PlayStation 1, 2, 3, all the classic games that they offer you, they're from all the generations of PlayStation, right? So for me, one of my end-all, be-all all-time favorite games from the PlayStation 1 era is none other than the original Siphon Filter. And if you have listened to the show, you know that I was very excited about the confirmation there will be trophies in some of these games. The first game confirmed with trophies from PS1's library was Siphon Filter. So guys, obviously, I just absolutely had to play this game. And I wanted to play it at least long enough to get a couple trophies unlocked and just kind of like, man, this is awesome. I'm playing Siphon Filter again after almost two decades, and I'm unlocking trophies in this game. So that's exactly what I did, guys. I immediately, that Monday that the system launched, I downloaded Siphon Filter and jumped right in. And, you know, it's crazy what memories, some of them are very good, some of them are foggy. My memories of Siphon Filter were exact. Now, granted, don't get me wrong. I spent so many hours replaying this game over and over and over and over back in the day. Because if you were like me when you were younger, you know, you usually had one game for a month or two at a time. Because back then when you're younger and you don't have a job, you can't really just go out every week and buy games that were at the time 50 bucks a pop. So you get a game. I mean, that's your game for about a month or so. And therefore... I played through the original Siphon Filter. I couldn't even tell you how many times. But man, when that first 989 Studios logo popped up, and then it came up to the title screen, and that funky music started playing, and then, man, the sound effects, and hearing Gabe, and the sound, oh man, it was just, it took me back to the late 90s, guys. It took me back to 1998 and 1999. And you know, the crazy thing is, I thought the visuals of a PS1 game were going to really throw me off, and they really didn't. I actually was able to not even have that affect me whatsoever in the least bit. 
The biggest thing that really, really messed with me was the single analog control for Gabe as the character. That really was the roughest part about playing this game for me because he's so floaty. He is so floaty. And even when you're trying to do, there is no precise movement when you're trying to turn the character. I mean, the guy is literally just taking extremely wide turns to go down an alleyway at different points or turn in a hallway. I mean, it was just, oh. And then the inverted controls, I had to change on the zoomed in reticule and... It, it was just way too sensitive. There was a lot there. Uh, but overall, I just want to say my experience with the game was a lot of fun. Ultimately, I played through the first full mission, which if you ever played Siphon Filter, you start out in the streets of D.C. and you have to figure out a way to get into the subway. And once you get down into the subway, it's all about trying to stop these bombs from going off and track down this one terrorist and if you played the game, you know that that doesn't happen right away. There's a massive secret explosion that happens and everything is now destroyed in the subway. And then we go into mission two, which is how you get out of that destroyed subway. But man, playing through that first mission really brought me back and I had a lot of fun with it. I did unlock two trophies in the game. One was for getting 20 headshots with the silence pistol and another was for completing the mission. So I thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, PlayStation 1 on PS5 worked beautifully. Now, the next big thing that I wanted to try out, the PS3 games that are optionable and this all-new PlayStation Plus, they are via streaming. So I wanted to try out the streaming and see how good it was. Was there lag or you know, was it choppy? Did it run smooth? Did it look good? Like, How is this going to play out? You know, initially before I jumped onto the console that day to try out the streaming, my all this time leading up to it, I had already seen the list of games that were available for streaming on PS3. And I was going to go with Infamous, the original Infamous from PS3. And I got into the list and I was looking through and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to throw a curveball at myself and I'm actually going to boot up Resistance 3. Because guys, I loved that original Resistance game, even though I never beat it. It was one of those situations where it was an auto checkpoint that I got screwed out on and it just it pissed me off to where I never went back to finish it. But the bottom line is I still thoroughly loved the setting and the premise and all that of Resistance. And I never played the other two, Resistance 2 or 3. I did play the PSP Resistance game. That was a lot of fun. Regardless... For this streaming test, I chose to play Resistance 3. It's the only one out of the Resistance series they had available. Oh, all right, why not? And, uh, man, it was an awesome experience, but it was also a very interesting one. First off, streaming-wise, no lag whatsoever, no hiccups. Beautifully, the game ran. I will say it took what I felt maybe was a little bit longer than I thought it should have to boot up the game initially, but once you got into the game... You couldn't tell the difference. There was no difference between playing the game that was installed or a disc as opposed to streaming. And once I got into the game, I fell in love with it, guys. That first chapter, there are 20 chapters in the game. I decided I'd play through at least the first chapter, and I did. And I got to tell you, between the setting of what that first chapter was, you start out as this new character who I did not recognize because I had played as the original character from the first game, and that was not who you play as here in 3. And this character is living in a community that's underground and kind of like a bunker type situation. And you're going through these dirt tunnels and everybody, the character's name is Joe. They're like, hey, Joe, and talking about their day and asking Joe about his kid who his son is very sick with some kind of fever. You don't know what it is yet, but there is an intrigue behind that for me. And then you're just kind of going through and seeing people in their day-to-day -day routines and lives in this resistance bunker type setting. And your wife is the leader of this resistance group. And, you know, long story short, of course, it's not too long or <laughs> before the Chimera, who are the antagonists and the aliens and the uh, different people who have mutated over the years since their invasion into Chimera, they are attacking. And guess what? You got to go out and defend this area. There's a really great battle with some Chimera and this giant spider type robots and Ultimately, you go back into your bunker and kind of resettle and regroup. And as your wife is signaling out to everybody who was on watch to make sure everybody's still out there, everything's okay, everyone's alive, 
there's one guy who doesn't respond. So at this point, she asks you and another guy to go check on that location and make sure he's okay. And that's where chapter two begins, and I ended my playtime with Resistance 3. But I will tell you, gamers, that it stuck with me every day. Pretty hardcore for the next week or so. And man, it took everything in me not to boot that game back up over some of the other games that I'm going to tell you that I played here soon. But great, great experience with the PS3 streaming. The other big thing that I wanted to try that was new to all new PlayStation Plus was the PS5 game trials where you can play up to two hours of a selected, pre-selected game on Sony's part. And that it's you're playing the actual game for those two hours. So you can unlock trophies, you save your progress, and then if you decide to actually buy the real game, the full game, that progress carries over. So I decided, you know what? I All these years, I've never played Uncharted The Lost Legacy. Uncharted's one of my favorite franchises for PlayStation. Let me play the PS5 version of it through the Legacy of Thieves collection, PS5 version, basically, of Uncharted 4 and Lost Legacy. So I installed the game and jumped right in, and I played about an hour and a half of the Lost Legacy, and man, it was as awesome as my good friend Logan Phoenix over at Graveyard Gamer podcast right here on Anchor and other podcast platforms. Check him out. If you like me, you'll love him, I promise. Man, he has said for years that I needed to check this game out, and I definitely see why. It's everything I love about the Uncharted series, and I love the character of Chloe and the character of Nadine I've even grown to appreciate over the years. So if you haven't checked out Lost Legacy, I would suggest if you have premium, give it a shot. Check it out for two hours. It was a lot of fun. So overall, all new PlayStation Plus, that was my experience specifically with it this past week. Now... I want to go into specific games that I touched on this past three weeks since we last discussed them. And first, we'll start off with Yakuza Like a Dragon. Gamers, since we last talked, I only put about an hour of further progress into Yakuza Like a Dragon. I did complete Chapter 2 in that time frame, though, and it puts me on Chapter 3, obviously. And I got to tell you, I am loving the story in this game. I love the main character of Ichiban. He's such a contrast, in my opinion, to Kiru from the original Yakuza saga. And that's not a bad thing on Kiru. I love Kiru. But they are just so different. Kiru is very serious and a little bit more about that mafia Yakuza lifestyle. And Ichiban is just kind of young at heart, in my opinion. And a little bit more jokey about things and less serious. And I appreciate that about him. And I just think the voice acting is so expertly done that it just comes across perfect. So I've thoroughly enjoyed the characters in this game. You know, I really didn't do a whole lot in that hour. You do get to a point where you have to get a job and start earning some money as Ichiban. So I did go through the motions doing what I had to do from quest objective to objective to get to a point where I was accepting a job. In the process, there is actually this Can Hero minigame where you're driving this cart around collecting cans and and recycling essentially to get the trash off the street and it's done in a really cool way kind of like a time limit race way and you can earn money from doing that and different things and i had a lot of fun doing that so that was really cool and then just the city of yokohama is where this game takes place currently where i'm at and i've just really enjoyed exploring that city of yokohama because for me as someone who's only kind of dabbled in the yakuza series i've really only mostly been and spent my time in kamarocho the city that's primarily it's also in like a dragon but it's in primarily the most of what your time will be spent in in all the yakuza series so for me it was nice to kind of break away a little bit and spend some time in a different city So absolutely loving Yakuza Like a Dragon. Hopefully at some point in time, I'll be able to put more than just a few minutes here or there on xCloud into this game. But the next game I'll really briefly touch on is just to tell you, hey, look, The Quarry, brand new game from Supermassive, horror. Oh, absolutely enjoyed my playtime with it. I spent about 10 hours to complete the game. And since I did complete the game, I put a review out if you hadn't seen it already. So if you haven't checked out my review yet for The Quarry, definitely go check it out. Get my detailed thoughts from there. Now, next up that I played is going to be, for the first time in quite a while, The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. 
Gamers, this game as well, I didn't put a whole lot of time into since we last talked and since I've last played it. I dropped about two hours of progress into its game. And when I last left you, if you didn't remember, I had just made it onto the sand ship, which was hidden out in the Nairu Sea. And, you know, I wasn't able to complete it in the time that I played these past sessions, but I've loved it nonetheless. It is the current main dungeon of where I'm at in the progress of the game, and it's very unique. And one thing I've loved about this ship is the fact that I did acquire a new and the final adventure item in the game, the bow. Now, guys, in any game I play that has a bow and arrow system, I, I love it. I love using a bow for whatever reason. But I finally got it in this game, and I've been looking for it for a while. You know, I, I get Link is known, and kind of, you know, you think of him in some visuals of having a slingshot for long-range attacks and whatnot. And you've had that option in this game. But man, having that bow and arrow now, it definitely makes a difference in my mind. And obviously, the bow and arrow, it's used to great effect throughout the sand ship, to whether it be activate switches or time shift stones that are placed specifically throughout and I've just really thoroughly enjoyed the puzzle of the ship itself and switching back and forth in time to utilize the different features of the ship in each time to where it's going to affect an outcome in the opposite time. And I really do feel like I'm pretty much close to the end of this dungeon as I have just obtained the small key which will allow me access to the captain's quarters. So guys, I can't wait to see what's behind that door. More than likely, it's going to be a boss fight or something that leads me to a boss fight, which I'm okay with because I love the boss fights in all the Zelda games. Skyward Sword has been no different. And it's just been a lot of fun getting back into this game. And hopefully I can continue to share that progress with you at a more consistent pace as opposed to months separate at a time. Now, this next game that I played was another one that has been a long time since I actually put any kind of time into it. And that game is WWE 2K22. Gamers, the last time I played WWE, it was every bit of three months ago, right after the game first launched back in March. And I was loving what I was doing in it at that point in time with My Rise, which is the game mode where you create a WWE superstar and bring them up from nothing to make them lead the charge for the entire brand, whether it's Raw or SmackDown or NXT or all three of them. You become the face of wrestling if that's what you so desire. But there was a lot of other modes that are in this game besides just My Rise. And the other mode that I was most looking forward to going into the release of this game was the My GM mode. And in this mode, you actually, what you do is you start out and you choose which brand you want to represent and control, whether it's Raw, NXT, or SmackDown. Then you choose the brand manager out of a different option of maybe five people. They each have an exclusive power card that they can use in a given week if you so desire. And then there are different rivalries that you can set up between you and whoever the other brand and brand manager you choose are. So me personally, I chose Raw as the brand I wanted to represent and Stephanie McMahon as the brand manager for Raw. Going up against in a little sibling rivalry that I've set up here, her brother, Shane McMahon, and he is in charge of SmackDown. Now, the first thing you do after you do these selections is you do your drafting of your superstars. And I thought this was very intricate and detailed and well done. And I love the fact that they have bigger names as well as lesser known names. So it's not like it's just lesser known people you have to start out with. And they give you a fair shot at getting some of those bigger names, superstars like Roman Reigns and, and Kevin Owens and wrestlers like that, that you might not have thought in other games, oh, wow, they actually allow me to do this. So once you draft your superstars, each brand, Raw and SmackDown in this case, then you can actually set up matches week to week. And I loved it, guys, because the details of the match types, whether it's a title bout or you want to have somebody run in and interrupt the match, or you can set up promos in between matches to set up other storylines that you want to start having happen during the background. You can set up rivalries throughout the way that you set up these matches and promos. There is just so much that goes into just setting up those matches. And then after you get past week one, you can choose the venue, the type of special effects you use 
all of this. Sign free agents and legends. And ultimately, the whole point is to grow your audience and your fan base and come out in the end, at the end of a season, as number one over your rival. And I have absolutely loved the short amount of time that I spent with this mode. And I can't wait to put more time back into it. But guys, this last game I want to talk about is a game I've been playing for a very long time and still am just loving it. And that game is Horizon Forbidden West. Gamers, since we last talked, I have dropped another 17 hours into Horizon Forbidden West. And if you're wondering, that brings me up to a total of 158 hours, and I am at 79.58% complete. And yes, that is driving me absolutely insane to be 0.42% from that nice, beautiful round number of 80%. But we'll just say that, look, I'm pretty much right there, 80% complete with the game. 158 hours, just about 160. It's crazy. But I've absolutely loved every second I've played of this game. Sure, there's been some frustrating fights here or there. But overall, it's just such an amazing world to be in, and I love it. And what I've done these past three weeks that I did put that time in, guys, most of it was honestly side quests and doing a lot of exploration type things. There is a really cool side quest where you help Aloy's friend Talana rescue someone from this coastal prison known as the Rot. And that was a lot of fun sneaking through, taking out Tanakh, and just, ah, oh, it was great. Now, there is also a side quest with a great hunt that you do with a character named Akoda. And man, that was nuts. I mean, there were machines like Scorchers and Claw Striders and a Shell Walker. It was absolutely insane. Guys, there was also the Enduring. It's a side quest where as you go through and you do all the melee pits throughout the course of the world of the Forbidden West, once you defeat all of the respective melee pit masters, then you go to the master of all masters when it comes to melee fighting, the Enduring. So I did go to the Enduring, I fought, I got through some frustrating uh, failures, <laughs> and then ultimately defeated the Enduring, which felt really good. Uh, a lot of completions here of a lot of long-running side quests or just things that were running throughout the course of the game, like I completed the final Rebel Outposts and Camp, so all those are done now in the world. And I did go back to the mountain base, and there were some overrides for some machines that I wanted to activate so I could actually override them now. Uh, started some jobs to help me along with where I can get some pieces needed for the other overrides that I don't have yet. I did progress my quest with Zoe, and there was also a quest I picked up with Erend. And I did drop off some of the survey drone schematics from the survey drones that are out and about in the world that you can figure out how to jump on top of them and grab them and bring them down to the ground and then you can get their schematics now the final two gauntlet runs those are the races in the game i did do those and completed that kind of like mini side storyline if you will i gotta tell you guys real quick those two were absolutely infuriating i got the gauntlet runs are a fun idea and I didn't have nowhere near as much frustration with the first few gauntlet runs as I did with these final two. But man, between the controls being just really off and the timing of everything, in my opinion, almost setting you up for failure and being against you the whole race. Whew, these were just some very frustrating races. I'll just give you a heads up, at least for me. Maybe you guys won't have any issue, but man. Guys, I was excited. I finally finished the final cauldron of the game that was located off of the western coast of the continent. And it had a lot of swimming in it. Now, I love the look of it, the design, the algae-covered interior. And then at the very end, there was an apex tide ripper that you had to fight, and that was nuts. And I really did ultimately enjoy this cauldron, the puzzle of it. And it's probably my second favorite in the game, next to the cauldron where you're actually going through as it is putting together a tall neck. Now, at this point, I've pretty much done everything that was available to do as far as side stuff. So, at that point, I did begin the main story quest line that was next, which was to find the Demeter Colonel and bring it back to Gaia at the mountain base. And this would be the final subordinate function that I needed out of the three that I had started as this overall arching quest forever ago. So ultimately, I did do the quest that got me that kernel, and throughout that quest, it was awesome. I loved it. You meet a character named Alva, 
And she is a diviner of a new type of people that I met called the Quinn. And man, I just, I really liked her character. She was really great to explore this facility with. And uh, it was just a lot of fun. And this place, this facility that you explore had a ton of text data points that I just absolutely loved. And the story of what was happening in the researchers at this facility and what they were working on. It was just a lot of interesting stuff. But my favorite, though, were the data points that were kind of like poems. And there were four of them that you have to find in the facility to get the whole story. And honestly, my interpretation, they kind of explained the extinction event in a very poetic way. And thoroughly, thoroughly loved it. So eventually, playing through this area got me to a point where I finally acquired the vine cutter, guys. And this tool is the last one that I needed to get to get past all those multiple things that you go through the entirety of the continent, the entirety of the game. Oh, I can't get that. It's a block path. Oh, I can't get that. It's a metal flower. Well, guess what? The vine cutter allows you to get past all those metal flowers and block paths that you've come across throughout the entirety of the game. So it was really awesome to finally get the Demeter kernel, the vine cutter. And at this point, I headed back to the mountain base to deliver that kernel to Gaia talked to everyone at the base again, picked up some new side quests, explored some newly unlocked areas in that base, and then headed back out into the world. Now, at this point, I decided, you know what? I'm a completionist. It's going to bug me if I don't. I am going to go all the way back to the start of the game at the far east and work my way all the way back west across the entire continent, going after all of these blocked paths and metal flowers and a lot of them also were blocking access to black boxes, which are one of the collectibles in the game, which obviously I wanted to get all of as well. So that's what I decided to do. But in the process, I was kind of killing two birds with one stone. I was taking out these metal flowers, getting the black boxes. If I came across an area where there was a side quest that had opened up that I could do, I'd stop and do the side quest. Give me a little break from doing all nothing but metal flowers and block paths. And of course, as I go through as well, there's some of the different sunken caverns that I was unable to do before because I didn't have the diving mask. Well, now that I do, I can fully explore to my heart's content for as long as I want underwater and get all the green shine and different things that were down there as well. So it was a lot of exploring from east to west again for me. And ultimately, I did get back to a point where I could finally do the relic ruin that was in the dry urn. It was the last one on this continent that I had to do. And you couldn't do it until you had the vine cutter because it was blocked off by a metal flower. So I only have one more relic ruin in the game left. And I can't wait to say I've gotten all those completed as well. But I got to tell you, there was a really cool, interesting item that I did find. And it was a war totem. And it was a totem of brotherhood. And I kind of stumbled upon it. And I'll tell you later in the episode how to get this war totem. But it's a very, very cool Easter egg. So keep an eye out for it and follow my advice a little bit later in the show. Now, after doing a few more side quests, there was one final thing that I was ready to do. And that was progress to the next main story quest. And guys, I can't wait to see how this story shapes up in this quest. It's gotten a lot of excitement and hype for me built up from... The way the story is progressing and just also, again, Logan Phoenix talking to him. No spoilers or details given. Just the, the fact that, oh, man, I can't wait till you see what it is. So I absolutely can't wait to see what this story quest is all about. But, guys, that was my massively packed Captain's Log this week. It was three weeks worth of play sessions. So a little bit long, but I, I couldn't wait to share all this great information with you guys and a lot of fun that I had doing it. But now, after all that, let's go check out and see what my highlight of the week was. Gamers, with all that gaming goodness over the past three weeks, how could I possibly highlight one moment or one session that really stood out to me above the rest? And it's probably going to be a surprising one to most, but I'll be honest, my highlight of this past gaming session was none other than my GM mode in WWE 2K22. I can't express to you guys how excited and how 
much fun it was to sit there and think about all these different intricacies and manage the budget that I was given and try to earn money as best I could based on ticket sales within the match that I had on the given week. And then being able to open up in week two and have a bigger venue to go to and trying to on my own, think of story, potential storylines I could create or rivalries between wrestlers and looking at the kind of money I had and, hmm, do I have enough to actually draft a free agent or draft a legend? Like, how awesome would that be? Now, granted, you only get the legends for certain specified amounts of time. Like, say, if you want to do The Rock, which is an option, I only get them for five weeks. So I have five weeks to maximize the potential of my interest and my investment in paying The Rock 200 and some thousand dollars, mind you, uh, to appear on Raw over the course of those five weeks. And it's really cool because you have to think about the specifics of things as well. It tells you the game does and the kind of the tutorial as you're going through. Like, hey, look, the whole point is trying to build rivalries and and have these storylines form leading up to a pay-per-view. Just like in the real world, WWE. And it's just so awesome to have that kind of level of detail in the game and be able to do that kind of stuff on your own. I just think it was it was just so awesome. And as much as I had read on the mode and been told about the mode and the version of this mode and other WWEs by Logan Phoenix and other people, I, I knew what I was expecting, but it still surprised me how much I just fell in love with it. So easily my highlight of the week. Now let's go open up a buried treasure gaming chest and see what kind of gaming tips I have for you this week. Gamers, this week I have two tips that I would like to share with you, and they are both in Horizon Forbidden West. And the first is about the Dream Data Point 3 out of 4 in the Greenhouse. Now the Greenhouse is that research center that I was talking about in the Demeter storyline earlier. And you remember I was saying that there were four data points that were essentially poems that kind of described almost like the epic ending of everything and just the way that it was written was just awesome. I really, really did dig those data points. And if you're like me and you don't want to miss them and you want the whole story, you're going to have to have data point three. And I was thrown off at first because I got data point one, data point two, and then data point four. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm pretty thorough with my exploration. Did I miss this? And ultimately, I did not. Because my tip for you is this. You're going to have to go back after that main quest is over to get data point three. And what you have to do and where it's at. So you're going to complete a swim along the perimeter of that research center off to the left of it. And if you look at your map, you're bound to have this question mark that's in the center of one of the round circular areas of the research center on the map. And that question mark is your destination. So swim around in the ocean, the perimeter of that area until you get to an opening in the wall, at which point you'll swim through that opening. And as you cross the water to the other side of the shore that you can get out on, guess what? There's a metal flower there. You get rid of the metal flower and inside, outside of just a chest with some items, there's also data point three in this story, we'll call it. So that is the first tip I have for you. The second one is in reference to the war totem that I referenced earlier. And if you want to find this totem, go to Plain Song on your map and then pan all the way straight down until you get to the river as far south as you can go on your map. Then you're going to want to pan just a little bit to your left, and you're going to see a small island in the river that has a frost glint hawk sight icon on it. Now, you want to swim up to its southern shore, and when you get to the shore, you're going to see right in front of you, there's kind of a small hole that's dug in the ground, and as you walk up to it, you can interact, and guess what? There is your Brotherhood of War totem. So those are my gaming tips for you this week. Now it's that time of the month to check in on my trophy level progress and gamer score quest goals. Let's start with trophy level progress. Gamers, if you never listened to my show before, basically once a month I do an update and follow up on goals that I have placed for myself in both trophy level advancement and gamer score advancement. Now first up, This is trophy level progress, so I'll start with letting you guys know what was my trophy level at the last recording a month ago 
on captain's quarters and what did I give myself as a goal? So last month, I had a trophy level of 208 at 56% completion towards 209, and I had given myself a goal of reaching trophy level 210 by the time of this recording. Was I able to do it, gamers? Well, in this past month, I did unlock 32 bronze trophies, 5 silver trophies, and 2 gold trophies all across 5 games. But was it enough? to reach my goal of trophy level 210. Gamers, it was. Trophy level 210 at 36% complete towards 211 is currently where I'm at. So woohoo! I reached my trophy level progress goal this past month and I'm super stoked about it. And that means I get to give myself a brand new goal for next month for the Captain's Quarters episode that should release on July 16th. So by July 16th, I'm giving myself a new trophy level goal to reach of trophy level 212. Let's see if I do a check back next month to see if I reach my trophy level goal. Next up, let's see how I fared with my gamer score quest. Gamers, as you can imagine, the games I've talked about most recently on my captain's log in this episode, all but two were on the PS5. So I'm just going to tell you, let's set a perspective here for this gamer score quest. Was it impossible? Did I hit my goal? No. But did I do it? Well, first off, we got to see where I was starting at. So as of last month, I ended and had a gamer score of 291,760. Gamers, I gave myself a goal of 292,000 to reach by today's episode, which really doesn't seem like much at all. I mean, 240 gamer score. Well, did I do it? Gamers, over the past month, I unlocked one 10 point achievement to give me a gamer score of 291,770. And that was completing chapter two in Yakuza Like a Dragon. So I absolutely did not meet and complete my gamer score quest goal. So therefore my gamer score goal is still to reach 292,000 by next month. We will see if I play a little bit more Xbox or XCloud over the course of the next month than I did this past month. But if not, whoo, man, it's going to be a long time coming until I reach 300,000. Mm. So that was my gamer score quest this month. Now Let's go see what my captain's decree is this week. Gamers, I talked about earlier in this episode, the all-new PlayStation Plus and my experience with a lot of the new features that it offers. So my captain's decree this week is this. Is the all-new PS Plus worth it so far? And I specify and reiterate so far. At launch... Is this a platform that you need to buy into if you don't have PS Plus already at all? Or should you upgrade to a different tier to access some of these cool features? Well, in my opinion, as of right now, it's a couple of things that you kind of have to, as a gamer, like or want for it to matter. And for me, I think that it is worth it for a gamer such as myself because I love having the game trial option. I love having the streaming option. And if you have time to play these games, I think that it makes a lot of sense for you. If you are an absolute PlayStation buff and you love the history of a lot of the classic games over all five generations of PlayStation, then this is huge. And if you didn't get a chance to play a lot of games at launch, like, say, Miles Morales Spider-Man or Death Stranding Director's Cut in the PS5 version, Uncharted and Legacy of Thieves Collection, a lot of these games you can try out. Returnal, that's a big one. A lot of people were kind of questionable on whether or not this is something they wanted to jump into and try out. Returnal's a great option. If you don't know if you're going to like it, guess what? You can try it out on the trial. Now, Assassin's Creed Valhalla is on there as a free game that you can try out and play as part of the collection. And there's a lot of these games that if you don't have either the money to just outright buy every game that comes out, or if you just didn't have time when they initially released, guess what? There's a lot of options there for you. And especially right now being the key operative wording here, 
there's not a whole lot this summer that seems to be coming out. And even in the near future, going into August, September even, it's not really until, like I said earlier, October, where it's like all bets are off and just everything is coming out in October, if they all stick to that release date. So, I mean, this collection uh, of games is great as an option for any gamer, really, to try out a lot of different things they may not have been able to before. And going forward, I think that it's only going to get better. And that's the key, is Sony is going to have to update and maintain this collection. It can't be. This, this is what it can't be. It cannot be like the PS Plus collection that we got when the PS5 first launched, which if you remember was a collection of 20-some games that were PlayStation exclusives, that were free if you were part of PS Plus. Great. But guess what? Sony never added to it. They never alternated titles in or out. They just had those initial games they gave you and boom, that was it. They never did anything with it. So, and they're going to have to do more newer releases too. I'm not saying day one releases, but PlayStation Now has kind of merged with PlayStation Plus, And that's part of what these tiers are is some of these tiers essentially give you access to what PlayStation Now was with the game streaming and different things like that, but they're going to have to stay more current than further back, if that makes sense. Like if a game released a month or two ago, that is better to put on your program than something that released six months ago, in my opinion, just to kind of garner some excitement around it. Because I feel like as gamers, once we reach a certain point in a game's re- after a game's release, the interest is just not as high on it. Because in gaming, it's just a constant forward-looking forward progression kind of industry and hobby you're always looking at the next game the next release so i very much think that what they have right now is great and i think that if you have the time and if you haven't tried out a lot of these games this is perfect for you as a playstation gamer especially right now where there's not a whole lot of new releases coming out but if you don't have the time or if you played most of these games already when they released not necessarily maybe the premium tier may not be for you but one of the lower tiers, maybe you have better enjoyment or get more out of those tiers to still have access to certain features uh, as opposed to paying that premium price. But overall, I think they've done a really great job of trying something new and different and really giving what I feel is a solid answer to Xbox's Game Pass. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by searching for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch networks. Reach out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com, as well as find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming, as well as on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.